to the open side. Karim Bete. Lovely here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Bete. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby. We are the people's podcast, providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Mitch, and joined this week is Lockie. Lockie, how are you, mate? Very well, mate. It's World Cup time. I, I'm so excited. I'm visiting. How about you? Yeah, I can't wait. As we go to record right now, I have the counter in front of me. We are exactly five days, eight hours, 58 minutes, and 24 seconds away from the World Cup kicking off. So for all our listeners out there, whenever you're tuning in, you'll be even closer to that first game of France versus New Zealand. So I'm just so excited. Can't wait. Uh, World Cup fever as well and truly here. And we've got a lot of content to get through this evening. I'm just... Uh, and the worst no, part we don't have Ando this week. You get the delusions. You get the delusions of grandeur. We don't have an Ando, but I've got hope. And that's worse because we're a week out and I start <laughs> to think, you know what, maybe we are okay. No, we've lost five games in a row, but that's fine because they're not the World Cup. We've got a game against Georgia. We're going to roll straight in. You know, James Slipper's injured. Oh, it's all right. It's not like he's our most important tight head and blue set. He can play both sides and is the veteran of the team. We're going to be fine. And it's just starting to grip us. I'm keen. Well, as the players have been saying all week, uh, it's the World Cup now. So everyone is on zero. It counts for nothing what has happened before. Week one starts next weekend and that's when the Cup gets underway. So as Wallabies fans, we can be excited. We can look forward to what is coming from an Australian perspective. But we're going to cover everyone this week. We're not just focusing on the Aussies. We're going to focus on the whole cup. We'll go through each pool. We'll, we'll look at the the way that the pools have been structured, who's playing who, what the quarterfinals and semifinals might look like, who we think will get through to the end. And yeah, just kind of talk all things World Cup. I'm very excited. Um, for our fans that are out there, if you want to get involved, one big thing that we've been pushing for the last few months is our Discord server. Now, this is the perfect opportunity with the World Cup just around the corner. If you want to be involved in the next biggest Aussie rugby community that is growing, I would guarantee that you get involved with our Discord server. We're going to have match threads for every single World Cup game. There's going to be conversation. There's already conversation flowing. Every little bit of news that gets spoken about in the rugby world is discussed in length on our Discord server. We've already got hundreds of people, I would say, that are on there and actively participating. So if you want to be involved in that, do go to our um, our social media platforms and you will find the link for that as well. It's a great place to just chat rugby, share your thoughts, share your input into the games and, and just really discuss and get into the nitty gritty of this World Cup as we move forward. Now, we also have to say last week we probably jumped the gun a little bit and we went out there and announced... Uh, the platforms that we were going to go with for our fantasy and tipping comps for the World Cup. World Rugby has done us a solid and as days after we announced that, days after, I think it was even Tuesday last week after we recorded on Monday, they officially announced the World Cup, World Rugby run tipping and fantasy platforms. So we have decided, we've made the executive decision that we're going to shift away from Superbrew that we announced last week and we're going to focus on uh, the World Cup platform it's a little cleaner. It's a little bit easier to understand. There's a few extra features in there that we like um, in terms of, particularly in the competition, or the tipping comp. It's not just picking who's going to win each week. You also get to pick who the first try score is and the most points scored in each game. So some things done a little bit differently. 
if you do want to get involved, we've got two new um, comps to do that. So if you're interested in joining our tipping comp, go to the World Rugby website or the Rugby World Cup website, make an account. You can either search for us for just typing in pick and drive rugby tipping, or we have a tipping code. The code is GN36NKB74. Now that's for our tipping comp. We also have a fantasy comp if you want to be involved in that. Again, similar like uh, the tipping comp. Search for, go to the website, make an account, search for pick and drive rugby. We should come up. If not, you can also type in 7TVBOMGC and we should come up there as well for you. If that's all a little bit too hard, just go to any of our social platforms and we'll have the links on there as well. So just to recap, we're not doing Super Brew. We've shifted away from that platform. We are going with the official Rugby World Cup tipping comp for the World Cup this year. And do please get involved and see if you can do any better than Lockie and uh, and myself. Lockie, a lot of talking from me. Anything you want to say before we dive into the World Cup preview? No, I'm just excited. We're going to go pool by pool, give a couple of highlights through, pick out who we think is going to make a big difference and hopefully give you a pretty good overview of what's to come over the next two months of rugby. I can't wait. Let's do it. Let's get into it then. Let's start our World Cup preview. Now, to do that, we're doing something a little bit different in our coverage for the World Cup this year. Now, there's three hosts on the Pick and Drive Rugby. There's myself, there's Ando, and there's Lockie. Now, we all know that we'll be following Pool C with Australia featured in it pretty intently throughout the Cup. We'll be watching most of their games, if not all of them. But how are we going to provide the content for the other pools? Well, what we're going to do is each of us as a host is going to focus on one pool throughout the coverage. And we're going to pick those pools now. We're going to do it randomly. We're doing it with uh, a spinner. So if you aren't, if you are on the podcast and you're listening, you're not on YouTube, you can chuck on the YouTube link and and come and watch this pool announcement uh, come live in front of you. If not, um, we'll try and be as descriptive as we can. So how are we going to do this in terms of rankings? So we'll, we'll go off the rankings for Super Rugby Pacific this year. So Ando finished highest out of the three of us in the comp. So we'll go with him first. So let's see out of pool A, pool B, and pool D, which pool he will be focusing on in his coverage for the World Cup. Let's get into it. We're spinning now. So Ando will be covering pool D. Oh, I'm I'm pretty excited about that because pool D is a little bit of an interesting one. And out of all of the pools in the World Cup, it's probably the least interesting. If I say yeah, that, yeah, well, no, I'm, I'm actually not concerned at all that you got that one first up. So I'm feeling pretty chuffed here so far. But I had the lofty ranking. I think Ando was 16th, but I was uh, not far behind in the 121st position. So we'll see what I get out of A and B. And we're off and running now. And it's Paul B. He's got right, the good so one. South Africa and Ireland. He's got the good one. And Tonga. And Romania, those poor bastards. Oh, they're going to have a long couple of months. All right, yes. <laughs> so, so you'll be covering Pool B, and that leaves me covering Pool A, which we've all labelled the Pool of Death. So that will be an interesting um, coverage. But let's dive now into our actual World Cup preview. And so how are we going to do this? We're going to dive through all of the pools. We'll go. We'll break 
Uh, we'll break them down in detail. We've got some questions that we're going to focus on. Before we dive into the actual um, analysis of the pools and how we think they're going to sort of pan out, I have some questions, Lockie, for you, just in terms of the World Cup, the broader World Cup and what we can expect and what we're looking forward to. So my first question for you, which game are you looking forward to the most? Now, you can't pick the final or the semis or the quarters because at this point in time, we don't know who those matchups are going to be. Let's focus purely on the pool games. What's your favorite? What are you most itching to get um, in front of the screen for? That's a cruel question. That's cruel because there are so many games that are massive, but I want to frame it in the context of not just finals, but who actually gets through to finals. So a lot of people would say France, New Zealand, and I wouldn't begrudge them for that. But I think pool games concerned, the final pool game for Ireland is against Scotland. And for me, that's the determining factor for who misses out. The pool B is stacked. We all know it's stacked. And that I reckon is going to be effectively a round of 16 game for either of those two teams. So I think that's that's got the most pressure for a pool game. What do you reckon, Mitch? What are you looking out for? Look, I, I can't go past that first game against uh, New Zealand and France. That's one that definitely I'm going to get up for and watch that live. Uh, I think from memory that kicks off at 5.15, our time in Sydney next Saturday night or next Saturday morning. So that has real big permutations for how that pool's going to run. And since I've just been allocated pool A as well, that's a game that I can't afford not to get up for and watch. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of interest and intrigue of, of how both of those teams are forming coming into this competition. Kicking it off in the first game is going to be massive. If it's going to be anything to go by from that Australia-France uh, game last week in Paris, the atmosphere is going to be incredible. So really, really looking forward to that one. Moving across the next question, if you were to pick one upset, who would it be and why? This one's cut and dry for me, and it's in the mighty, mighty pool D. Uh, it's going to be covered by our gorgeous co-host, Ando, and it's Samoa being England. I just there's a, there's a feeling in the waters after Fiji got up. England's looking shaky. Samoa had some good performances. They've got some strong cohesion building in that side, and I just feel like if Argentina knock England off in the first game, it leaves England ripe for the picking against Samoa. So I think if there's one upset that can happen in this World Cup, it's Samoa beating England and knocking them out of the quarterfinals. Well, I'm going to stick with that same theme for my upset as well of Pool D, and I'm going to go with Japan beating England as well. So <laughs> I think this could be a bit of a disastrous World Cup potentially for, for England. And if they do, as you say, lose to Samoa and they lose to Japan as well, Geez, it's going to be a pretty horrendous time for all our English fans out there. But let's see if they can uh, turn things around and not necessarily go down that path, hopefully. Let's go to question three. Who's your dark horse for the competition? Oh, my heart wants to say Fiji, but I think a genuine dark horse to take it is Argentina. Yeah. I think they've got a favourable side of the draw. Um, looking at a, a Wales or a Fiji or even an Australia in the quarterfinals, neither three of who have been performing particularly well. And then once Argentina is in the top four, you know, anything can happen. They've got a gun goal kicker. Uh, they've got a great forward pack and some blistering pace out wide now. I think that they're a real smoky. Would, wouldn't that, as a, from an Australian perspective, wouldn't that 
do you the, the biggest bit of dirty if Michael Checker gets kicked out of a World Cup in the quarterfinals in 2019 and then goes on to win the whole thing with Argentina in 2023? It'd be incredible. It'd be one of the great sporting stories of all time. You've got a uh, almost like a... Is there a reverse of a prodigal son? Someone who went away and did something way better? better. <laughs> it's just... It's it's an incredible story. He's already won, you know, well documented that he won with Leinster, he won with the Tars. He's been to a World Cup final already with Australia. But has anyone won provincial titles in the North and South and then the whole thing? I, it would be an incredible <laughs> no. achievement. But how about yeah, you? Yeah. What's your course? Yeah, I, I think I go with Fiji. Uh, not, maybe not necessarily to take out the whole comp, but maybe to go a little bit deeper into the competition than a lot of us are anticipating. And I, Fiji, if they can pull everything together, there is no reason they can't get to a semifinal. So the the path is aligned for them. They will have to overcome the Wallabies to do that. And as much as that hurts me to say, um, and we'll get into it as we get further in and, and analyze Pool C, they have shown in the past few weeks that they are a team that is coming and, and coming together at the exact right time. So, um, yeah, I'll be really interested to see how Fiji go. Uh, let's finish off these questions before we dive into our full-on preview. And if not Australia to win the Cup, who would you like to see? Who's the next country you want to see lift it, if not uh, the Wallabies? I'd love to see France win one. Honestly, I'd, I feel for France. They've played in three finals through their World Cup history. They've lost all three and they've had their moments. And now at a time when they've backed youth since 2019 and taking that young squad through Japan and suffering a pretty unfortunate quarterfinal defeat to Wales, they've built so well. And now at a home tournament after a, a Six Nations in 2022, running really close this past year, they're primed. They're primed to do well. And I think it would be fantastic for world rugby to see a, a brand new winner in that regard. So as far as spectacle is concerned, uh, a host win in France would be amazing. I'm going to go with another European team and I'll go with Ireland. I think if Australia aren't going to be able to get through and lift the trophy, then I would love to see Ireland do it. Just the way that they've played rugby over the past few years, going to New Zealand last year and beating them on New Zealand soil for the first time. And for the first time in so many years that a team has come and beaten New Zealand in a series at home was outstanding and we have seen from New Zealand historic uh, from Ireland sorry historically that they peak right before a world cup and then end up sort of falling to pieces once the comp kicks off and they end up I think what is it the semi final the quarterfinals is the furthest they've ever gone if they've yep, even made it that far um so for them to continue their momentum the way that they've built over this past few years and get to a semi final and hopefully to a final would be awesome to see them lift the trophy so that's who I'd love to see do it as well um let's get into our preview now so how we're going to do this we're going to go through each pool pool a b c and d we've got some questions that we're going to focus on as we go through the pool so the first one we'll we'll focus on is the predicted placings how we anticipate each pool finishing uh what are the crucial games and matchups in each pool which players can we keep an eye out for or what performances or big players of note we're going to expect from the teams in each pool and are there any potential upsets that we could see on the cards? We've already spoken a little bit about that in the past, um, but we'll do that in a wider context in each pool as we get into it. So, Lockie, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, pool A, take it away. All righty, Pool A. Now, just in front of you, if you're watching, uh, the pool as it was seeded, New Zealand on top with France in second seed, Italy third, Uruguay fourth, and Namibia fifth. 
And that's just about how it's going to play out, except you can flip those first two because France is coming out on top in my book. I think we all know that this, as far as pool's concerned, is the lap pool. Is everyone swimming up and back? And there's only two that are going to win and get up the front, and that's France and New Zealand. So it's who touches the wall first, and it comes down to that first game. So we're seeing France just pip the Kiwis in that opening game in my book, and really none of the other teams hold a candle to them. I'm excited to see the game between France and Italy. I think that's going to be a good contest, especially if the French are knocked off in that first game, which I'm not predicting, but it could happen then they're playing for their life against Italy and the huge amount of pressure would be on them. So a couple of big games there, but I think it's how you see it. France finish out on top, New Zealand qualify with them, Italy misses out, but they get that crucial seeding for the next World Cup and Uruguay and Namibia, I'm keen to see how they play out because Namibia has never won at a World Cup and Uruguay coming off their big win over Fiji in 2019. So I'm really excited to see that one. I actually love to see Namibia break their hoodoo and end a long World Cup win drought. I think that'd be a great narrative out of this pool. I'm really interested to see, obviously, that first game, New Zealand and France, uh, it's going to be a lot tighter than I think a lot of us expect, particularly with the announcements that's come in the past week of some of the players that aren't available through injury. Uh, So Dante, uh, the centre for France, who we saw last week against the Wallabies, was so crucial in setting up that victory for them, has been ruled out of that first test. So that's going to be a massive challenge for France to overcome um, that injury and and name the best centre pairing that they can around that. And they would have been hoping that all of their best players would have been available for that first test. It's unfortunate that we're getting so close to the cup now and that not everyone is available. We've already lost... um, What's the the fly half? Um, Oh, we've lost Intermac. The French also... Cyril Bale, the loose head prop for a couple of games. Paul Willemser... Um, their second row has been ruled out for the tournament as well, as I understand. So there are some big outs from that starting side, but the, the depth across that French team is just superb. And they've still got world-class players. I mean, you you lose a Willemser, but then someone like a Cameron Walkie comes in who was fantastic and had that breakout tour against Australia in 2021. I mean, they're, they're stars across the paddock. And even without Dante, you've got Arda Vissant, you've got Gail Ficou, You've got stacks of French Six Nations winners who are ready to step up and own this home tournament. So massive games coming up. New Zealand um, missing Tyra Lomax, they could be, for the first game or two after the big gash on his leg against South Africa. Um, obviously, they're still waiting on news around Brody Retallick. Um, I mean, there's there are so many ifs and buts for this first game. And I think it's going to be really tight. I, um, I, I can't imagine there's more than a kick in this. So whoever's you know brought their sharpshooter, I reckon they're just stealing this one. It'll be a three or four point margin. It's really interesting when you look at the way that this pool has been structured and the schedule. Uh, when you compare the path that the Fran- uh, that France will take in this World Cup compared to maybe the Wallabies, it's sort of opposite in a sense. So France play New Zealand first. That's their crunch final game in this pool. First up, all the pressures on World Cup opening ceremony happens. They play straight away, kick off to open up the cup. Then they play, so first games against New Zealand, they play Uruguay and Namibia, and they play Italy last. And as you you said previously, if they do lose that opening test in New Zealand, that Italian game becomes really do or die for them. Uh, so it's interesting to see that how their preparations will go when you compare it to a team like Australia who come in not necessarily playing the two hardest teams first. They play Uruguay, uh, they play um, Georgia 
in their opening game. So expectation, um, you know, coming in as the hosts, as the potential favourites, whether France can push to the rise to the occasion and overcome New Zealand, who we've seen have been so good over the past few years, have been the benchmark in world rugby. It'll be really interesting to see if they can um, front up and, and win that first game. Yeah, 100%. And there's so many good players that we can look to through this pool as well. Just off the bat, we've got those injuries, but I look at the French side and I see the form backline outside back in the world in Damien Pernau is going to be the star of that show. Everyone's got eyes on Captain DuPont, but Pernau mm. has been outrageous over the past two seasons in particular. His short-kicking game, his ability to break the first tackle, I think it's a nightmare for anyone trying to mark him. So I can't wait to see him in action. I think he'll likely, because he plays on the right wing, I imagine he'll be setting up on potentially a, a Mark Talia or someone like that, you know, two of the best attacking wingers in the world at the moment. That could be an amazing matchup to start with. Um, and then uh, stars across this pool, um, Ange Capuzzo. You know, Italy's flying under the radar. No one's expecting them to get out of this pool. But tell you what, if France drop that first game and Italy pick up some momentum and that's their knockout game, that's effectively a round of 16 match and expect the likes of Capuzzo and Bruni and Tommaso Allen and Michelle Amaro, these, these young stars that have been building as a unit over the past few years. I'm really excited about what a player like Ange Capuzzo can do in Pool A. As for, as for Uruguay and Namibia, I mean, it's, it's hard. I'm excited to see them play each other, but this is really going to be a test for them to just front up. And I would love to see them score tries in each of their games. I think that'd be a real positive, especially for Namibia to be crossing the whitewash in all four of their games and then flip a coin for when the terrorists play against the Welsh Witzers. I'm really keen for that one. Well, I guess Uruguay have shown from their uh, performance in 2019 that they're not a team that you can take lightly. And that's what Fiji did, and they ended up losing that game against them. So not to say that New Zealand or France will take them lightly and, and rest. You'd expect some rest in and rotation. You need that in a World Cup. You can't expect to play your, your top 15 or top 23 every single week um, all the way through the Cup. That's just unsustainable. But... Uruguay aren't a bad team and they and they have proven that if you take them lightly, they have the ability to to beat you and to, to particularly up front, um, keep it in tight and push and maul and, and um, yeah, play the tight game really well. So it will be interesting to see how they go. I, I expect maybe not potential upset, but I think Uruguay will come closer to some of the, the, other, the top teams, Italy, France and New Zealand, than we might be expecting, uh, particularly if there is a lot of rotation in those players. Uh, jumping back to a player to keep an eye on in New Zealand, as we've we've come to expect over the last few years, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Richie Mwanga goes um, at number 10 for New Zealand. We've seen that the past few tests for the All Blacks haven't been their best performances, but Richie Mwanga, as always, is outstanding. And even in a losing New Zealand team um, against South Africa a few weeks ago, he was a, a shining light for them. So he's a type of player that gets... He's good when he's playing bad and when the world stage is like when they're on the world stage, he just takes things to that other level. So really excited to see what he can do at this World Cup um, and yeah, see how the whole New Zealand team really respond to the pressure that is being put on their shoulders at the moment. Yeah, I totally agree. And if there's another person 
from that Kiwi lineup that we need to see stand up and own the world stage, it's Adi Savia. There's a lot of focus on Sam Kane, but you know, he's your skipper, he's your seven. I think that's just the way that Ian Foster's backing. But Adi Savia, who has dominated the Southern Hemisphere for so long now, is yet to deliver, in my mind, the resounding Northern Hemisphere performance that etches him into Kiwi folklore. He had a great run through 2019, but obviously they went down in the semi and everything was derailed from there. But if Adi Savia can match up against the French pack, that is huge, especially their back row. You've got Croix and Oliver and um, uh, Greg Aldrit, these man mountains in the back row. You know, can a smaller, more dynamic player like Adi Savia break this open? Is this the time where he becomes... Uh, you know, goes from all-black captain and icon to all-black legend. He could do that by leading the pack through this tournament. And um, for New Zealand fans out there listening to the podcast, there is a bit of a transition happening in New Zealand at the moment. There are a number of players that we've come to expect and see consistently in an all-blacks jersey that will be hanging up their jersey at the end of the year. So um, Sam Whitelock, Sam Whitelock uh, Brody Retallick, Aaron Smith, these players that have become stale warts for New Zealand over the past, you know, 15 or so years, no longer after this tournament are they going to be playing for the All Blacks and playing their rugby in New Zealand. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond, what type of tournament they put in. And in some ways, it's a bit of a changing of the guard for New Zealand. They've got a mix of ex- experienced players who are finishing up their careers. You've also got younger guys coming through as well who are starting to, um, like Sam um, Roydgaard, who's, you know, pushing Aaron Smith every single week for that starting position and, and getting better and better the more minutes that he gets. So be really interesting to see how New Zealand manages all of the games in their pool and if they can send off their best players in such a way like they did in 2015 and 2019 with Darren uh, Dan Carter. Jeez, I'm getting all the names wrong today. Dan Carter, <laughs> Richie McCall going out on a high. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Cam Lagarde is going to be a star of the future. We know that, but... There's one person in that All Blacks team that deserves a special mention as much as it hurts me, Sam Whitelock gunning for a third World Cup. It would be one of the great rugby stories if the glue of that All Blacks pack for over a decade is able to get it done. And we've seen he's still got life in the legs. He had a fantastic shift through the Crusaders finals campaign in Super Rugby. He is, is the seasoned campaigner. And if he goes through and they go deep enough, I believe that at some stage, either towards the end of the pool stage or in quarterfinal, he will become the most capped All Black of all time, I think, regardless if they make quarterfinals. So uh, just a, a huge uh, bugger you from a Bledisloe perspective, but he's <laughs> an incredible, incredible player for so long. And I think if you're a young second rower, having an icon like that in world rugby to look to for a decade of excellence and consistency, you don't get a lot better than Sam Whitelock. And Bowden Barrett is another player as well that we need to, to throw out there. I don't think um, we might see him back in a, in Super Rugby at some point, but I don't think we'll see him at another World Cup, particularly with some of the concussion issues that he's had recently um, and just the age that he's getting to. So there will definitely be Barretts involved in New Zealand rugby for many years to come, I expect. But Bowden, who has put in, what is this his third World Cup, if not fourth? Um, he's just been, yeah, he, he's, um, he's been a, an outstanding performer for them for the past, you know, 15 years as well. So really interesting to, to see how he goes in this tournament and how much game time he does get, um, with, with Fozzie, um, in charge there. 
Anything else you want to say about Pool A or should we move on to Pool B? That lap pool's done. Let's get to the whirlpool. All right, Pool B. South Africa, Ireland, Scotland, Tonga, and Romania. What are your predicted placings or finishing spots in Pool B? Exactly that. Exactly what it says on the tin. I'd love to I'd love to back a Scottish upset. Uh, it boils me to think that the Scots won't make it through in back-to-back years that they'll be knocked out, but I think that's where this is heading. Uh, South Africa is going to progress. Um, I'm not certain in which position, but I do think it's going to be first. And then it's whoever wins that Ireland-Scotland game. Um, we mentioned it off the top. That's my most anticipated, hotly anticipated pool game because it is, in effect, a knockout game. Uh, and that's the critical one. So I think I'd probably get the job done. But in pool B, there's a world where the top three and even the top four with Tonga all give up a game to one another. I can see a world where Scotland pulls a cat out of the bag and and beats South Africa in the opening game to global fanfare, but then drops the ball against Tonga. You know, that's not outside the realm <laughs> of possibility for a team like Scotland. So there's, there's so much excitement. I think that, you know, Ireland could upset the box. The Scots could upset Ireland. The Springboks probably have too much for Scotland, but, you know, it could go either way. And then you know, the Tonga becomes the banana peel game for everyone on top of that as well. And, uh, yeah, we said it again at the start, but Romania are just having the most horrid time this World Cup. For them to come away with a win would be exceptional. To come away with even a couple of bonus points and a few good tries, I think, is in of itself a huge result for Romania. Jeez, no, no disrespect to Romania, but if they come away with a bonus point out of any of their games, they're doing remarkably well. I think if they come within 50 points, realistically, of anyone <laughs> in their pool... <laughs> I can. Jeez. I mean, I can even Tonga, with the team that they've named and or the the squad that they've named, have the talent to push anyone in their pool really on their day. Um, it's, and it's Romania, brutal. It's, it's brutal. True. It's going to be brutal for them. It is, it is going to be brutal. And you know, maybe maybe five ten years ago, we could think, oh, you know, Ireland and Scotland are you know dour teams, and they'll bank the points and they'll grind. And yes, they'll do that. But also, Ireland and Scotland now have some of the best backline running outside backs in the world. I mean, it's just outrageous what these teams can do to you on the counter. Throw in South Africa with a seriously scary backline and Tonga's host of stars. I mean, what, a couple of games in, imagine you're a semi-pro Romanian player and you've got Charles Piatau trying to run around you. It'd just be a nightmare. So I feel for... Just Adam Coleman going over the top of you. Yeah. Oh, God, I forgot he was in the Tongan squad, of course. Um, yeah, so the Romanians going to have a tough time. I can't see them banking anything, but I think what it says on the tin is going to how it's is how it's going to play out. What do you reckon about that one? What I um what I mentioned previous in Pool A for France's World Cup, Ireland have a, a reverse sort of trajectory, um, and which could do them a lot of favors. So they play Romania first, then they play Tonga before playing South Africa and Scotland. So they have wiggle room. They have time to progress into their. Uh, their World Cup campaign. Not to say that you would expect them to to drop a game against Tonga or Romania, but they're not necessarily going to be put under the heat that they uh, will with Scotland or South Africa. So looking at the way that they can structure their tournament, that they can sort of ease their way into games and start to really hit their straps come quarterfinal time, that's going to, there's a lot to be said for who you play in those last two weeks before a quarterfinal. And if you are able to sustain and play a game plan uh, or be challenged in your game plan against the top two teams in your pool, 
coming to quarterfinal means that you'll hit that humming uh, where as France play their final almost at the beginning of the tournament, they then have their easier run as it gets to the quarters. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Ireland, if that will help Ireland more so than, and then maybe France. No, I agree with that. And I think Ireland do have that favourable one. In my mind, it's always better to build through the pool and then have those tests at the end. But the um, the immense pressure that Ireland could find themselves under, they cruise through the first fortnight and they drop a game to South Africa. It's do or die against Scotland. Yep. I think that's the way it's going to play out. And then again, if Scotland by some you know happenstance get a really good result against South Africa, they get a draw, they get a win... Suddenly, that's South Africa's tournament on the line. A week out from two weeks out from quarterfinals against the world number one Irish team. There are so many great permutations through Pool B, and yeah, Tonga's Tonga's there to really ruin some people's careers. I think they've got the capacity to kill a few coaches off and and rattle some cages. So Pool B is going to be terrific. And yeah, high key chuffed, high key chuffed that I got that one. But I'll, I will flag a couple <laughs> of players to keep an eye on out of that. Um, just from the top four, I, I must admit, I haven't done enough research on Romania yet, but I will rectify that. So we'll look at the top four from there. And looking at South Africa, there's one player that has the team on his shoulders at the moment, and that's Marnie LeBoc. So they've come into it. It's quite similar to Australia with one recognised out-and-out fly half. And who still can't kick goals. Who still can't kick goals until last weekend where he kicked five yes. from five at Twickenham. So go figure. But he's a, yeah, he's, it's, there's a lot of 2010, 2011 Quade Cooper about him. He's mercurial. He steps really well. He jinks into the line and he's able to pull passes back and create space. And, you know, is his kicking in question? Yeah, there's a lot of parallels. So whether Marnie Lebot can carry this team through a really tough pool and then into a quarterfinal against either France or New Zealand, I mean, this is just nasty stuff coming out of Pool B. So huge responsibility on LeBoc's shoulders. Um, looking at Ireland, I think, you know, they've got heaps of wraps on, you know, the brilliant second rowers they've got. But so much now comes upon the front row. So Keane Healy's been scrapped out of this tournament. And you look to a player like Andrew Porter, who is the anchor of that scrum, but he's also one of the most penalised uh, props in world rugby especially through the past few Six Nations. Great around the paddock, but he's been suspect there. So, you know, does he come under immense pressure from the box pack? Absolutely. They're going to be targeting him all day. So he's critical to their chances of progressing. And if Ireland go down to South Africa and it's do or die against a Scottish pack that's improving, you've got people like Xander Ferguson who are ready to rip in and ruin your day up front. So Andrew Porter, to me, is key to Ireland's path forward. And then finally, over in Scotland, that centre pairing of Sione Tupilotto and Hugh Jones, the Huey Pilotto, that's critical. <laughs> that's critical. It's a great tag, too. I really like the one that they've come up with in Scotland. But you've got the job of containing, you know, really seasoned centre combinations to Ireland with, you know, Bundyaki, Ringrose and Henshaw. And then you look at South Africa and they've suddenly rolled out Andre Esterhazen, who is enormous, Kanan Moody is suddenly a world-class 13, even though he's only 20 or 21. And if they don't work, we'll just roll out Damien Delende and Jesse Creel, who've won a World yeah. Cup. So, I mean, they've just got stacks of talent through the centres. And um, if Hugh Pilotto can keep it together for Scotland, they're going to be the key 
to getting a quarterfinal berth that I think they deserve, but I don't think they'll get. Yeah, that's the... And looking at pool, both pool A and pool B, there are three teams in each pool that would deserve to make a, a World Cup quarterfinal, and two of those teams aren't going to make it. Scotland and... Um, Scotland and, well, maybe not so much deserve, but Italy on their day could probably do some damage to a team in a quarterfinal. Uh, but the way that everyone's talking about how the, the pools have been formed when you look and you particularly get to pool C and pool D, as we'll get to in a minute, um, there is a, a real chat chance, uh, well, it will happen, that either South Africa, Ireland, New Zealand or France won't make it past a, a semi-final when the, they undoubtedly are the best teams in the world at the moment. It, it's tough to think. And, you know, I don't think anyone would begrudge if, you know, the draw had been different and we saw France, South Africa, New Zealand and Ireland in the semis. I mean, that's probably a good reflection seeing as though they're currently the top four sides in the world. And then Scotland, who are fifth, are now real underdogs to even make it out of their pool. So, you know, it's something that definitely will be reviewed, I think, going forward. And um, Italy, going back to them really quickly, I don't think they've ever played a quarterfinal. No, and that speaks volumes to the, you know, the t- how tough it is to actually get out of your pool regardless. So throw in New Zealand and France above them and you're just thinking, uh, we'll try again, 2027. <laughs> we'll get there one day. We'll get there one, one day. day. One day. Uh, anything else for the pool B or should we move across into the favoured pool of the cup, pool C? Pool C, the paddle pool. I think this one's yours, Mitch. All right, Paul C. So we have Wales, Australia, Fiji, Georgia, and Portugal. Now, it does need to be said that Wales, Australia, and Fiji, throw in Georgia there for the last World Cup at least, have all been in the same pool for the last three World Cups in a row. So World Rugby, whatever you're doing, it's not working. Uh, We need to fix this up by 2027, which will be the next World Cup. So let's get a little bit of variety in there. But this is... This is the Australian pool. This is the pool that we're all interested in. This is where we come to uh, really talk through our fears, talk through our trepidations of how this pool is going to pan out. Now, our predicted placings. Lockie, I'll let you go first. What are you What are you anticipating how this pool is going to structure itself? I think it's my blind optimism covered with gold-tinted glasses, but I still think Australia's favourites to top it. I think Australia will go through in top seed and Fiji will go through in second place with Wales, Georgia and Portugal all in that order. Um, Obviously, the seedings had Wales on top and they were very, very good when the draw was pulled in, uh, I think, 2020, end of 2020 when it was drawn. Um, Gee, yeah, they've they've dropped a long way in my book and I think Fiji's recent form, the rise of the Drua, the core cohesive unit of that side playing together 12 months of the year, I think they're lending themselves to a well-earned quarterfinal spot. I'm really worried about this pool. I can see a world where Wales outkick us, Australia, and beat us, and then Fiji just run us rampant out wide and beat us as well. It's not unrealistic to see an outcome with Wales and Fiji getting out of the pool and Australia not scraping through particularly if we don't figure out our goal kicking options now from um from an australian perspective i did see on social media this week that max jorgensen's having a few shots at goal now how much game time he'll see in this tournament at all whether that 
boosts his profile of being more of a um, reliable pick in the 23 because he can kick a field, can kick a goal. Um, I expect we might see him against Portugal and maybe Georgia at a pinch. But outside of that, I don't think he's quite ready. And this is more of a, an opportunity for him to learn and to look forward to 2027. Uh, but it is worrying because Wales are a team that will kick their points and Fiji are a team that have shown that they can grind you down and they can um, they can make you pay. And some ways Australian rugby has only got themselves to blame for the rise of Fiji over the past few years through their inclusion in the NRC, into Super Rugby with the Indrua, and now into our pool where they've just gone from strength to strength. Uh, crucial games for this World Cup pool. Um it's got to be Australia and Fiji for mine. I can't really go past that or Fiji and Wales. Those two games, Australia, Fiji, Fiji, Wales are really going to determine, I think, who makes the the second placing in the pool. How do you, how do you see that going? Yeah, I, I agree, especially with the Fiji Wales. So that's the first, that's their first game in pool C. And I think the winner takes so much confidence from that and the loser is rattled. I think we see two sides in Fiji and Wales who play a completely different style of rugby. So if Wales come out and they lean to their world-class goal kickers like Dan Bigger, like Lee Halfpenny, um, there's there's absolutely an ending that goes, you know, they kick eight penalties and it's, you know, 24 points and they wrap out a couple of the crazy tries that the Fijians pull out. And I think that could be how this pans out at some stage. But my gut just keeps telling me Fiji are up for this. Fiji are ready to go. It is the best prepared they've ever been. It's the most amount of running games they've ever had. And that core, as we've spoken about, ad nauseum. Yes, it's Australia's fault for putting them through the NRC and, <laughs> and investing through Pacific Sport, which is just amazing for the game in general. But, yeah, I think that second game, um, Australia-Fiji, is, is critical because... Into my mind, if we drop a game against Fiji, we don't deserve to play quarterfinal rugby. It's as simple as that. It's not a disrespect to Fiji, but it speaks volumes that Pool C is the weakest consistently across the board with the highest ranked team of seventh. And then Australia ninth, Wales 10th, Georgia 11th. If you're not getting out of this pool, and this is why I call it the paddle pool, if you're not getting out, you're not ready to play with the grown ups. You're not ready to play in the big place. Yeah, you're not ready for the big boys. And it's true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, could we see, you know, Australia, Fiji and Wales all take a game off each other? Maybe. Maybe Wales outkick Australia, Australia do Fiji, but Fiji do Wales. And it all comes down to how much you can trounce Portugal by. So exactly. I, that could happen too. But I think, I think Australia still has enough class to come out of this on top. And crucially, for the sake of momentum... We need four wins in the pool. I don't think Australia can pull off what South Africa did in 2019 and run through without getting four wins under the bank. We've already had five losses. We need to turn this around. So even if we go through yeah. the pool, Eddie's still got a losing record for the year. We need. I to think go- as much, um, as you were saying, as much as important as the games against Wales and Fiji are going to be for the overall placings, in this pool for Australia, that first game against Georgia is massive. Now, it's not necessarily to say that we won't win that game, but we need to win it well. 
because we're coming mm. into this World Cup zero from five. Our players need momentum. We go yeah. into Fiji the following week. We need to go in with a mindset that we can win. If we come close to Georgia in that opening game, there's going to be there's going to be hell to pay. I can imagine the the journalists back home will be uppercutting themselves, their partners, their girlfriends, <laughs> everyone. Uh, Eddie Jones is going to be spitting chips through the media. the The way that the Wallabies have gone through 2023 so far, the the sacking of Dave Rennie and the appointment of Eddie Jones and the dropping of Quade Cooper and the dropping of Michael Hooper, Eddie Jones needs to prove that all of that was worthwhile. And they need to come in and they need to put in a dominant performance against Georgia and they need to carry that through into Fiji and Wales. The way that the Australian pool, uh, the pool is structured, so we start with Georgia, we play Fiji, we play Wales, we finish on Portugal. Now, in some ways, that allows us a little bit of rotation if we have secured ourselves top spot, come up against Portugal or at least the second place in the pool um, to allow us to give more game time to players like uh, Jorgensen, like Donaldson, those sort of fringe players who were there to take up um, training opportunities and to expand the squad a little bit and, and those types of things. But we need momentum leading into that Fiji game. If we are, if we aren't dominant against Georgia, if they do push us around in the pack, which they are very capable of doing, um, that gives Fiji a lot of confidence the week later that they can go through us in the forwards as well. And we already know that... Um, Slipper isn't available. Uh, we pick up one or two more injuries and it's going to be really dire for Australia. Yeah, 100%. And I think Georgia remains the perfect game for us to go in. If we're coming in cold, 0-5 and five against a Wales and a Fiji, there is massive pressure on both the playing staff, the coaching staff, the weight of both expectation and the fear. Because there would be genuine fear, I think, going into those games cold. But you have a Georgian side that will be strong and physical and will try and mess up the Australian pack, it's the perfect challenge. It's the perfect challenge for our side. And if we go through, and like you said, it has to be a statement win. It has to be a win that says, yes, here is all the vindication for Eddie Jones' decisions. We will now go through and take on Fiji, who have hopefully been tenderised by Wales and they've beaten each other to a pulp, that we're ready to roll past both of them. And then... Portugal is actually quite an early game for us. It's towards, um, it's not near the end of the Pool C game. So there'll be a long time to wait after the Portugal game if we're to progress to the quarterfinals, like I'm predicting. So they have a really tight clump that first three weeks. They've got huge, huge mountains of work to get through. And I think Georgia remains the perfect start for us. But a couple of players to watch out of this, I think I can't go past. Uh, Carter Gordon, Carter Gordon. <laughs> this this World Cup is so important. I know we've already picked out a fair few fly halves, but it's a critical role. It is a critical role, and you've got a young man thrown into his first season of Test footy off a Super Rugby side that has struggled for wins, and he has yet to taste success in the gold jersey. I think he's kicking out. There are a lot of players in this so. squad that are yet to taste success in a gold jersey. Um, Carter Gordon's one of them. Uh, I'm really interested to see and how important and pivotal and pivotal Samu Karevi is going to be to our World Cup. Mm-hmm. We have already lost Lenny Kitao and we saw against France last week that our centre pairing was not up to scratch with Pattaya and um, Fakedi. And we know that we need to have Samu Karevi available and he is available for 
uh, for Georgia. And let's hope that he's match fit and he's ready to come in and just steamroll players. And that he doesn't give away a silly yellow card by palming someone in the face like he did in 2019. We can, <laughs> we can not do that. That'd be great. Um, what, just one other thing I wanted to chat about before we get into some of the other players outside of Australia. But Eddie Jones has been talking about this game plan that he's been hiding his cards close to his chest. This Georgia game is an example. We need to see a new style of play from Australia. If we are to believe what Eddie Jones has been saying, that everything has been a lead up to the World Cup, that he has some remarkable plan, whether it is to have wingers playing set seven or eight or packing in at scrums or flankers playing on the wing, whatever it is, he's got this new version of rugby that he's going to unleash at this World Cup. We need to see it in the Georgia game. If we come in and play a similar game plan to what we did against South Africa and just kick away all our ball, or if we come in and just have the possession stats against France but aren't able to execute and score as many points as we need to against Georgia, then there's going to be massive questions asked of what Eddie Jones has been doing, what he thinks, what his game plan is for this World Cup. Is this team actually capable of testing South Africa, New Zealand, France, should we get to the final? So, yeah, I think this Georgia game is going to be a lot more important from the style of play, not just the outcome, but the style of play that this team uh, presents in the pool. Uh, But back to some of the players that I'm really looking forward to in this pool. Fiji, there's just players across the board. We've seen them in Super Rugby this year. Habossi, the boss man, back playing international rugby. We saw against England the other week how good he was just running over blokes. He's going to be fantastic. He's going to be a player that if you give him a centimetre, he'll take a metre. That We're going to see some massive points scored from him in this World Cup. Yeah, the, the outside backs are just ridiculous. I mean, the whole back line, in fairness to Fiji, is going to be so good. You've got Masai Lavu, a skipper. Yosefa Marcy has come in leaps and bounds with the Drewer. So is Ravatamanda. Um, and then, yeah, <laughs> Vinaya Hambosi, Semi Rudradra. I mean, these players are brilliant. And then the forgotten man of this stack back line, Joshua uh, jo, um, Twisova, sorry. Yep. Coming in, who's one of the form and most feared European backs in club competitions. Frank Lamani running the cutter from half back. They've just got stacks of talent. But the most excited Fijian player I ever see. Um, is Tevita Ikanabere. I thought he was up there with the form hookers of the Super Rugby competition this year, stepped in for Darren Lange as skipper, and he did a brilliant job through that process as well. So huge wraps on Tevita um, coming through that regard. Um, for the Welsh, I want to see them let Louis Rezamet off the shackles. I want to see that man run. He's calling out himself. He's calling out critics online. He says he's quick. He says he's running 10-6 and faster. He says he's lightning. I want to see it. I want to see them unleash because they've got great backs and they always have, regardless of how Gatlin's played them in the past and, you know, sending Jamie Roberts up to just eight metres. Players like George North, Rio Dyer, um, Lewis Rees-Samet are incredible finishers. Liam Williams in his day was one of the form fullbacks um, going around. So they've got great strike weapons. So, if Wales can actually get the ball to them and they don't get caught up in um, Warren ball or Gaz ball or whatever you want to call it, I think we'll actually see some good expansive rugby from Wales. And um, I think co-captain uh, and sort of breakout star over the past two years, Jack Morgan on the side of the scrum, he's pivotal to that. He's one of the great uh, Six Nations defenders at the moment. He reminds me a bit of Sean McMahon 
um, the way that he sort of bundles around. He's just yeah, muscled out of his mind. He's all shoulders and traps and just rolls through people in the ruck and in the tackle. So I'm really keen to see Wales bringing in Forcer like that uh, to the field. So if we move forward to uh, potential upsets in this pool, what game jumps out for you or what team do you think could take an upset in pool C? I see Georgia beating Wales again. I can really? see that. Because they banked a win. They did bank a win last year. Um, there's no reason the, Georgias can't, the Georgians can't believe they'll do it again. So I, I was going through all the, you know, variations of how this pool can play out if you know teams take wins off each other i mean, i could i could see wales beating australia but losing to fiji and georgia that's just the way this messy pool could play out and i think the belief that the georgians will have after beating wales is massive absolutely massive for them so i don't think we're going to see any other results that would surprise us Going through here, I think obviously Fiji beating Australia would be a huge upset um, in the scheme of international rugby, but on current form, maybe not so much. World Cup-wise, it would be unforgivable. And I must stress this, it would be unforgivable for Australia to miss out on a quarterfinal. It's never happened before. It has never happened, and we we can't expect that. But I can see a world where Fiji beat Australia. And if not for the talent that they have on the field and the game plan that they'll bring, when you look at the coaching structure that Fiji has named, they have insider knowledge of the Australian rugby system. Their head coach is Simon Rayo-Louis, who was Michael Checker's scrum coach in 2015, I think. Uh, We've got uh, Daryl Gibson, the former Waratahs head coach, is the attack coach of Fiji. Glenn Jackson, the former referee from New Zealand, is their skills coach. Like They have talent. Mick Byrne has been with the players through the Indrua all season as their head coach, and he was the skills coach of the Wallabies in 2019. So these coaches know how the Australian psyche, how the players prepare. If there's one game that Fiji have on their calendar as the game that they need to win this World Cup, it's Australia. And that game is going to be incredibly exciting. I can't wait for it. Um, but I would not be surprised if Fiji do cause an upset and beat us. I uh, just I disagree. I think that we're still in a good enough position to overrun Fiji over the 80 minutes. I know that their fitness is now legendary almost. We see the footage of them walking up the dunes arm in arm together. Um, but I think we do have the class to get it done. And I think that as both fans and as in our role sort of punditing in this way, our expectations should be higher for Australia. So I do think we're going to top the pool. I think we'll go through with Fiji. Wales can get stuffed. And um, <laughs> hopefully the Portuguese make a good fist of a couple of games as well. Look, if it, if it takes Fiji beating Australia for them to get out of the pool over Wales, I'll take that. I will take that. Absolutely. And, oh, I mean, oh, no, no, we're going to win. We're going to win the whole points. thing. What are we talking about? We're going to win the whole thing. We're going to win the whole thing. All right. Well, anything else you wanted to say for Pool C before we move into the final Pool, pool D? Nah, let's let's head over. This one's interesting. I'm really keen for this one, actually. What did you call this one? What was your, your name for Pool D? But, oh, you, no, you helped out with this one. This was the Wave Pool. The Wave Pool. What did the I say again? Pool. I think it's because someone's going to get dunked and drowned. 
Someone's going to get drowned or someone's not going to get out of it. Uh, so, Pool D, we have England, Japan, Argentina, Samoa, and Chile. So, realistically, I think when we look at the placings here, we would expect England and Argentina to top the pool and to get out. Um, just looking at how things go at the moment, Japan will put up a fight. I think Samoa are a bogey team that can have the ability to, to take a win off England and or Argentina. Uh, Chile will be there to play proudly and um, put in good performances, but I just don't see them coming close to some of the talent, or particularly Argentina and England. But what what we why we called this one the wave pool is we could realistically see uh, a situation arise where each team wins or loses to each other, where Argentina beats England, but then England lose uh, or um, and then loses to Japan, or Japan beats England and then loses to Argentina, or loses to Samoa. Like this pool has the ability for it to be a bit of a free for all, and it will come down to bonus points to see who's really going to get themselves out. What are your thoughts? Oh, I totally agree. And in what's a bit of a trend through the pools this year, the first game of these pools is massive because it is England and Argentina who are the two highest ranked teams. I think the RG is currently sixth in the world, England eight. And I think this this pool is the RG's to lose. I think Argentina enter this regardless of, you know, a couple of really poor performances uh, against the Springboks to end their um, World Cup preparations in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, I'm not really counting the game against Spain. That seemed like a bit of an anomaly. But I think this is Argentina's to lose. They've beaten England in the past 12 months at Twickenham. They're in that sweet checker spot of about 18 months to two years where he's had them all together. He's still given effective. Them, he's learnt Spanish so he can talk to them. And, you know, all these fantastic <laughs> slowly coming together for Czech. And I think we're going to see Argentina go completely boom and top it or completely bust and miss out. And my tip is they boom. So I'm going to tip Argentina to come out on top of Pool D. And I think second place goes to Samoa. I Samoa. Think, I think Samoa get it done against England. And they're fighting for scraps with Japan at the end. Japan haven't convinced me uh, in the past 12 months. Even in the past four years, I, I remember reading a stat quite recently that since the 2019 World Cup, Japan have won four of 23 games, yeah. which is shocking. If they're, even going to, if they're going to classify Japan as a tier one nation, that's worse than the Wallabies. That's atrocious. <laughs> just. So, just, just. So I think I think the IG is the best place to take this one. England, if they click, if they win that first game, they're going through. Absolutely. Yeah. I think whoever wins that first game almost puts one foot in the quarterfinals because of the way. Yeah, they basically they're... secure top spot. Yeah, in my mind. But Argentina take that first game, then they've got a red hot summer. We're backed by you know one of one of a beloved Australian figure in Christian Liliofano now wearing the blue of Samoa. You've got star power through that team. You know, Steve Luatua, UJ Satini from La Rochelle, um, Duncan Powers come into his own as a utility. And then, you know, stacks of talent in the forward pack as well. Jordan Tafua, you know, the Crusaders flanker who won you know, countless titles. You know, they've got some serious, serious firepower in that Samoan team. So I think they've got enough to get the chocolates against a team like England if England's you know, path continues the way that we've seen it. 
And um, yeah, uh, and my heart bleeds. Oh, poor England! If they missed out, it'd just be, just be gut wrenching, wouldn't it? You'd feel for them, Mitch. Your antipathy and heart bleed. It would probably make my World Cup to be realistic. <laughs> if England don't get out of the pool, it would make everything right in the world. The biggest fear I have for England at the moment is their consistency, and it's something mm. that the Wallabies are also struggling with. But at least England have won a few games in the lead up to the pool. But we see them, they beat Wales or or they get beaten by Wales one week and then they beat Wales a second week and then they get beaten by Fiji. So they have the ability to win games, but they just don't have consistency in approach and uh, game plan and style. I don't think they're also settled yet on their centre combination, particularly now that... Uh, now that um, I've had a mind blank. Um, I want to say Farrell. I nearly said Sexton. I'm like, no, he's Irish. Uh, now that Farrell is a few weeks out and misses, was it the first two or three rounds of the cup? That's going to be massive. So that puts a lot of pressure on uh, Smith to sort of lead this team around with Farrell not there. And and we probably, or England have been expecting to have that combination with both Farrell and Smith, either at 10 interchange or 10, 12, that combination that they've built um, over the past year or so. So it will be interesting to see how they go and how they approach this World Cup without their their, their captain. Um, and I could realistically see an opportunity uh, and, and see a scenario arising where they beat Argentina that first week and then they lose to Japan the second week um, or they, they lose to Samoa and it becomes this kind of free-for-all of, you know, we're going down to bonus points so we're going down to, to kicks at goal or shots at goal to sort of determine who gets out of the pool here. No, I, I think you're right, and it's going to be messy. It's going to be a messy exit. And I think of all the teams best place to go through undefeated, it's Argentina. But it's also very likely that we see, you know, three teams with three wins or a couple of two wins. You know, even you think back to France in 2011, where they still made it to the final, even though they only won half their pool games and <laughs> dropped one to Tonga. You know, that's the kind of, that's the lay of the draw. And, you know, you know there is a world in which England... You know, slips up against Argentina and has a tight loss to another team but can still go through to a quarter final and then potentially face Australia in a quarter final. I mean, it's just it's such a stacked side of the draw for A and B. And the C's and the D's of the world who crawl through to a quarter final, uh, it's just it's gonna be fascinating viewing. And I think one thing we need to say, and maybe we should have said this at the start, uh, before we let into this uh, our preview for the World Cup, but the way that rugby is structured at the moment, the way it's adjudicated and, and cards and um, bunkers and all of those types of things, how close the world rankings are and what we've seen particularly in the past, say, 18 months, that anyone on their given day in the top 10 nations can beat anyone. That the standing, it's no longer that there is a massive gulf between teams ranked first and fifth that on their day, Wales can push New Zealand right to the end, or on their day, Scotland can beat South Africa. We have seen that happen in the past. It only takes a card. There could be a scenario happening where five minutes into the opening game of the World Cup, Sam Kane gets a red card and is out for the remainder of the game, and that puts a massive favour into, or Adi Surveyor or Richie Mawanga, puts a massive favour into New Zealand, into France's pocket. So there could potentially be one, two, three, four games in these pool stages that are determined by 
decisions by the referees or cards or or those types of things and um form goes out the window in that so i just wanted to say to our fans we this is our predictions for the world cup but there's real there's a real possibility that what everything we predicted could go to poop and we could be seeing four completely different teams come semi-finals time you've totally nailed that i think every coach worth their salt um, will be putting their teams through their paces in the training paddock with 14, 13, even 12 players just to get used to that throughout this block ahead of the World Cup. I mean, what was it the English game against Wales where they were down to 12 men for a section of time? Yep. It was just ridiculous scenes. and that They nearly didn't have enough chairs for the, 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 the sideline. They were <laughs> getting players out of the stands for them all full of the yellow cards. Yeah, I, I, you can see that being a determining factor. And you you look at the, I mean, the crowd pressure as well, you know, do France get a slight favour? Did the cameras suddenly turn off like they've done in the Six Nations in the past when there's a, a some form of clerical error around a forward pass? I mean, there's so many interesting things can happen at this tournament and that's why I've no doubt that this is going to be the most competitive and the most exciting. Yes, there are the top sides stacked on one side of the draw, but it means that we're going to get quality quarterfinals through this block. We will see a New Zealand and a South Africa potentially meeting in a quarterfinal. It's massive. The Frances and the Islands are set to collide. And it does give us a path. As Aussie fans, there's a path to the top four. There's a path to the semifinals where we play an Argentina or an England, teams that we know that we can beat and have beaten in the past few years and end up in a semi. And I don't think that there's fear for the Australians going into that situation. If we make it through a quarterfinal block, we have nothing to lose coming up against those hotly favoured sides. We pushed France last year. We pushed Ireland. We should have had New Zealand this year and we've beaten South Africa recently on home turf as well. I mean, yes, I'm getting excited again like I was at the start. There is that fever coming through, but maybe there's a glimmer. Maybe there's a glimmer of hope, and that's what's going to get me up in these early mornings and get me It'll up get you through the four a.m. kickoffs. Yeah, and and we'll be going back to uh, a lot through the World Cup um, for our listeners. We'll be going to Monday night recording, so we actually get game reviews rather than putting out a preview as the game is being played. We're going to try and avoid that. <laughs> so expect a couple of Tuesday pods coming out over the next few months as well. Now, before we finish things up and we'll um, we'll chat a little bit about what the plan is moving forward and what our coverage might look like uh, for the World Cup, let's focus on Australia. And my question for you is, what is a pass mark for Eddie Jones and the Wallabies in this World Cup? How far do they need to go for you to say, okay, yep, that was a successful World Cup, taking into account the players we had out with injury or we didn't select? What are you hoping to see? Semi-final. The semi-final is a pass mark. Um, and that, and Phil Wall said as much. Rugby Australia CEO came out probably a couple of weeks ago and said, we expect to make the semifinals. That is our pass mark. And if that's been mandated from the top down, I think that's a reasonable expectation for a first-year coach that's been thrown in for all Eddie's bravado and his brashness and his confidence. I think playing in the final week, even if it's in the bronze final, would be a huge step for Australian rugby given where we've been over the past 24 months. I you know, have very little confidence that the Australian public would accept anything less than a semi-final, given the hype and the investment 
and the the fever that's been poured into Eddie Jones' return. And uh, frankly, I expected it as well. Yes, we're currently ranked ninth in the world, but when it comes to World Cups, historically a quarterfinal exit has been seceded by at least a top four finish for Australia. You know, when we bowed out in 95, we went on to win it. Um, the next year in 99, when we bowed out in 2007, we won a bronze medal in 2011. We got bumped again in 2019. I expect a semi-final, And the path that we've got that lays ahead of us, yes, we have tests against Wales and Fiji. We can get through those. Yeah. Who lies in the quarterfinal for us? Argentina or England, probably. Mm-hmm. Maybe Samoa. We can beat them. I know that we can yeah. beat them. I have that belief. So top four finish for me is the pass mark. What about you? Yeah, well said. That's that's pretty much what I was saying as well. I, I do have a fear that we will get bundled out in the in the quarterfinals uh, by a pretty strong and smart Argentina team. Should that be the way the the cards play? But for mine, the success needs to come. We can't call this a successful World Cup campaign if we're not there in some capacity at the end of of the top four. If we're not playing that bronze final, even if we don't win that bronze final, if we go down to South Africa or France or New Zealand for that matter. We need to be playing that uh, for the caliber and the pool that we've got. We don't have many excuses for the um, the way that the pool is structured and the path that we have, the side of the draw that we're on. There will be, and I'm already anticipating the backlash from South African fans or Kiwi fans <laughs> when they're playing us in <laughs> they're playing us in a bronze final, and they've been knocked. They've gone through. Say it's France, they've gone through New Zealand, they've gone through, well, say it's South Africa, they've gone through New Zealand, they've gone through France, they've gone through Ireland to get to us, and we've we've got beaten by Argentina or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how we go, but I am really looking forward to this World Cup. It's the tightest, as we said before, the tightest World Cup that we have um, had in the past, probably ever. That anyone in the top maybe eight teams has a realistic chance of winning this. Even the top ten have a realistic chance of winning the World Cup because I'll extend it to, to ten because we're ninth. Uh, but <laughs> um, I'm really looking forward to it, and we're so close. It's going to be fantastic. Now, what do we have coming up for our coverage for the World Cup? Well, as you said before, we are going to be recording on Monday nights purely because there are some Monday morning games for the Wallabies in Australia, uh, particularly there towards the end of the World Cup. So. We want to make sure that we're recording after the Wallabies and we can report on the games and not just do a preview for what's coming the next day. Uh, we do have some guests lined up as well, so we're really excited for that so that we can get some uh, real rugby knowledge and some people that have either been there or done that that we necessarily... I mean, we've won World Cups on Rugby 08 or Rugby Challenge in the past, but we've never really played in a World Cup final, so... Let's get some people on there that have been involved in that uh, over the next coming weeks. So we're looking forward to that. 100%. Anything else from yourself? No, I think that's it. I'm really excited to look back on this in two months and look back on an Australia-France final that we've won in Stade de France in front of 80,000 screaming and whinging Frenchmen and just bask in the and doubt. And crying South Africans. And crying South Africans who lost in the semifinal to us conveniently. Um <laughs> I just I think there's there's so much potential in this World Cup and so many great storylines. Uh, I love the narrative of 2019 with South Africa and Sia Khaleesi coming from a first up loss to win the whole thing 
even if they got an easy run through Japan and Wales. Um, 2015 <laughs> was legendary um, with the, the veterans. 2011 was such a good final. I mean, just the, the history of the World Cup and the, the delight that it brings fans from everywhere across the globe. It's the one time every four years when your fair weather mates or your auntie who used to watch the footy and she might peek around the corner and start watching the World Cup and it brings people together. So I'm yeah. super excited. I hope um, you'll stick with us through this, through the Monday pods, because it's going to be it's gonna be a hell of a couple of months. I can't wait. Really looking forward to it. Go well, Wallabies. We're all behind you and uh, we expect big things and we're looking forward to the performance that you put in next Sunday morning against Georgia. Go the so Wallabies. We will, we will have a Sunday pod, actually, um, for, for Monday uh, release after the Georgia game. We're hoping to have a special guest. Um, we'll tease that a little later on, but they're a familiar face in Australian rugby who's still currently playing. So fingers crossed we can confirm that over the coming days. Fantastic. And as we said at the start as well, do get involved of the Discord server if you want to be across all of the rugby news and action that's happening in the World Cup and do get involved with our tipping and fantasy comps as well because that's going to be another interesting way to get involved in this World Cup. Lots of rugby action coming up over the next few months. Really excited. Thanks for joining us tonight and hopefully we did your team, whoever it is that you're supporting other than Australia, proud in our preview and uh yeah let's go let's go rugby because this is the best time of year for a rugby fan thanks everyone we will catch you next week bye bye